Elizabeth Pierre is going to read our scripture today. I don't know. Oh, there we go. All right, good morning. Can we please rise if you're able for the word? Yes. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, NIV. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Uh, God, we come before you as your people. Uh, I just pray that as we open up your word, as we study the book of Ephesians together as a family, that you would shape us, that this would be a, uh, an exercise of, of, of molding us and shaping us and making us more like you. Um, give me your words. May you, may you speak through me or beside me, um, may your uh, mouth uh, come and speak to us. And if you are someone uh, who prays, or if you just want to take a moment of silence, I just want to give you a moment of quiet. You might want to ask God to, to speak to you afresh through his word, or um, show up however authentically you can to, to God right now. Most Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, you can have a seat. Well, this passage we're in in Ephesians, we're going through the book of Ephesians, and this passage is all about walls. All about walls. I, while I appreciate the political undertones of that back from 2016, right, when there was building of walls, that is at the same time not what Paul is completely getting at. He is speaking to all of us, that all of us build walls. And he is talking to two groups, Jews and Gentiles, in which there's a need to tear down the walls of hostility between these two groups of people. Um, Kanye, back when he was sane, 
uh, said this once, we are at war with terrorism, we are at war with racism, but most of all, we are at war with ourselves. There is in this sense of hostility, this wall building, this is all of us. This isn't just one group of people, a certain demographic, those people there, those people out there, those people in the Bible about, this is all of us. We all build walls. And Paul is going to address this in, in this time, in this context. You have to remember, there was a lot of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Historical hatred. Paul is going there. <laughs> He's going there. He is opening up a book to multiple churches and just going there, hitting on something that is a systemic issue, a historical issue, and in their time, to the world that they know it, a global issue. And he hits on this history. Remember, Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews. And their history is, is the Jews were meant to be God's people that were a light to the nations. You have to remember back then, there were two, from the Jewish perspective, there were two groups of people. You were Jew or you were Gentile, which is everything else. So all of us in this room are Gentile, unless you were born ethnically into a Jewish family. He's saying, you, you, these are the two groups of people. These are the two. And so... During that time, the Jews were meant to be a light to the nations. They didn't do their call. This was their call. All throughout the Old Testament was this, these prophets that rose up to proclaim that you didn't do the call you were supposed to do. And Jesus came along and fulfilled the call and said, by the way, I'm going to include everybody the way you were meant to. And the Jews didn't like this dynamic going on. They didn't want to be inclusive of, of all. Um, and the reason I say we all do this is because we all build an identity on something. For them, it was being Jewish or some being non-Jewish. We do this. Uh, we do this in our jobs. We do this in our nation. We do this in our city. We do this in our occupation. We do this even in small ways in our apartment complex. Like, we all find something that we have an identity on that makes us feel moral, that makes us feel good, that makes us feel... Um, that we have this identity. And Paul is getting at this, and he's getting at this to remind them, um, remember those who were far off. He says he's reminding those Gentiles, remember that you were once far off. He, he, he calls the two groups by a very medical terminology, uncircumcision and the circumcision. He's like, look, there's these two groups, this party and this party. And remember that you were excluded from the citizens of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope. But Christ who once were far off have brought you near by the blood of Christ. Now, he's mostly talking to Gentiles here, but you have to remember last week we talked, he's primarily talking to the majority last week and says you were dead in your transgressions. You were, you, everybody, everybody was far off is what he's getting at. And he's reminding them that you have no moral basis to feel superior to anyone. Um, it became, becomes the basis, this sense of wall for our hostility towards someone. Um, this happens in all kinds of ways. This happens around even sexuality, right? For a long time, the straight community looked down upon the gay community. You're not like us, was the message from the straight community. And the gay community says, you know what? You're right. We're not like you, and we're proud of it. We're proud that we're not like you. So now we, there's another identity that comes about, and I have pride that I'm not like you, and now hostility happens. That's a very simplified version of the last 30 years. But basically, it's like, you're not like me. Yeah, I'm not like you. Now we despise one another. 
This happens with race. This is the root of racism. The root of racism, of sense of one race feeling superior. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the issue of our country is that we have a Christianity that is really often a religion of whiteness. We talked about this in detail. It was, it's kind of a polarizing message, but racism, when we began to be formed, you think about what you were formed. Think about the messages growing up. What I want you to do today is a couple of things. Is Paul is going to say he's divided these walls and he made us into one new family. First thing I want to tell you is that family is very complex. Christianity is a weird family. <laughs> We've got weird family members. Anybody got a weird uncle, crazy uncle? That's just crazy Uncle Pat over there. Crazy, crazy Uncle Pat Robertson, we don't listen to him. I don't know what he's talking about. Everybody's got a crazy uncle. Christianity has a lot of crazy uncles. Um, but what's crazy is we might, in the, in the moment, feel more in line and more in common with the coworker that we go to the women's march with than we do with another Christian from the Bible Belt. And they're looking at us and going like, you're weird. You Chicago Christians are weird. And we're like, you're weird. So like, there's just a lot of weird complexities in the Christian family. At the same time, something that's convicting of me is in eternity, God is a gracious God. He likes to let a lot of people in on his gig. We all have more in common in eternity than we will ever have in this short time, which is mind-blowing to me and very convicting that I'm going to be worshiping next to someone that I would not want to worship next to for eternity. I might as well start figuring out now how to navigate that. And Paul, what I want to do today is really show you what Paul is doing. I could go a lot of angles with this. I could go a lot of ways, but I want to show you Paul's anecdote to this problem. I want to show you what, what this passage is trying to show us. So we have a lot of roots in racism. I was I, one of my friends um, told me a story that he found out that he was a quarter Asian. Um, he thought he was fully Mexican. And when he found this, he began to dive into his Asian roots. So there's even race, you know, we, we think about racism of just black and white. There's racism even within one race. You know, like as he began to talk to people and say, well, I'm Asian. They're like, well, which one? And he'd go down the list and they'd go, oh. He'd be like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you got, there's an order to how you name the list. And then he talked to another Asian and was like, no, it's this order. Kind of that there was orders that you're supposed to list Chinese, Japanese, you know, the different, uh, the different countries. So even in that, he, he, he began to share to me that the racism he's experienced even within one race that we often have. We all do this. We do this even within politics. There's even conflict and walls within same political parties. We as a people are naturally putting up walls. We do this out of fear. We do this out of not the, un, of the unknown. We even do this with things like coffee, right? Like you ever talk to somebody, you're like, you want to meet up for coffee? You're like, yeah, what about Starbucks? You're like, oh, oh, you're one of those. You're one of those people. <laughs> um, you know, we, we do this. We do this with all kinds of things. Luke 11, there's a passage where this Pharisee prayed this prayer, and he gets at the root of this. Put it on the screen. It says that, he says, I thank God that I'm not like other people. This is his prayer. I thank God that I am not like other people. But Paul says in Ephesians 2 
that he has broken down the walls of hostility. He, has, he, is our self, he is our peace. He himself is our peace. I want you to get this. He's not just teaching you how to make peace. He's saying, I'm your peace, and who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two. I'm going to get into that. Making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So he did this in his death. By put, not only did he do it through his death, but while he was dying, he was putting to death hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and those who were near. The Francescas that grew up in church all their life, he, he came to you too. You might have been saved, but you didn't have peace. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, verse 21, and the whole building is joined together, a whole a place where God can dwell in this new family. Isn't that so rich? So rich. This work is not for woke churches. This is central to the gospel. Central to the gospel. If the gospel is just where you go to heaven when you die, then it has nothing to say about racism. But with the gospel is that Jesus is kingdom has come to earth as it is in heaven, those broken relationships with God is, is ultimately the cause of all other brokenness. That creator God's love has been broken in that all of our relationship horizontally is broken. And I want you to notice the first thing Jesus didn't do with these two groups. He didn't sit them down with two parties and make sure they both were heard and seen. You can say, well, make sure you're heard and seen, make sure you're heard and seen. Now, that's really good work. That's really good relational intelligence. Um, it's very important. Just a little side note, a little anecdote about that. Um, there's, a, there's a slide about four different categories. Don't assume bad intent. Is that up there? No. Oh, I put these in my other slides. Oh, they, we switched computers. Uh, there's a, I forgot her name because I have it on the slide, but she was a part of the Westboro Baptist Church that left years ago. I don't know if you remember this, but, I, um, but she has a TED Talk. I'll get you the name if you really want it. But she left the, the church, and she began to have civil conversations over Twitter. Basically, the Westboro Baptist Church was God hates everyone. Like, think of anything you can think of, God hates them. It was like, we're the clean, they're the unclean. Their job was to tell the world why they're unclean. She, she said these four things when... Dealing interpersonally. Don't assume bad intent. When you're having a conflict with someone, don't assume bad intent. Ask questions. Questions are the way we listen. Third, stay calm. We think our righteousness justifies our rudeness. We think just because we are right, we have the right to be rude. She says, stay calm. And then fourth, make the argument. We often make the argument like this. Well, yeah, this is what I think. Duh, you're stupid if you don't. But she says, no, make the argument. Don't assume they understand your argument. Make the argument. Don't assume that they get it. And so we need to be doing this. But, and Jesus embodied these steps in his life. The way he engaged with people, he embodied these steps. But this is not enough. This is helpful for the mind, but it has nothing to do with the heart. And it has nothing to say about systemic injustice and roots of systemic problems in our world. We need more. Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross if that was enough. 
But Jesus had to put hatred to death. He had to destroy hate. Jesus' body on the cross, get this, he says that he, not only did he die, did you see that when I pointed that out? But hostility had to die. I want you to see what Paul is saying, the way Jesus handled this. Jesus' body on the cross became a grave for hate. So Jesus takes away the tensions of these peoples and the sins of a people, and he absorbs them, he transforms them, and then doesn't give it back in kind. Like Jesus on the cross is like this water purifier holding in the toxins on the cross, transforming it and giving back purity. He's taking in cursing. He held it in the grave, transformed it, and gave back blessing. Jesus took in murder. He held it. He transformed it and gave back life. I love this. this I saw this in, in, a, in a book I was reading. I just love this. Christ in his death was slain, but the slain was a slayer too. Christ in his death was slain, but the slain was a slayer too. I will pay for a tattoo of that. And there's just somebody like, that is so good. Such a good sentence. That Jesus, while he was dying, was killing something. He was destroying something. And the way that Paul has in his mind, the way he does this, is he doesn't just make the Gentile group better and the Jewish group better. He doesn't just say, Jews, you change, and Gentiles, you do this. He, doesn't say, he, he says they, he made them into one new humanity. Like The Christians' view of themselves was radically different. They believed, Paul had this thought, that we are a new race. It's kind of radical. Like, real, like, Jesus is doing like Matrix stuff. I don't remember that movie. Just like creating alternate realities. Like, you are a new, new community. And this is similar to where we see like Martin Luther King Jr. and the beloved community, right? It's a good example of that, where if you want to opt in, anybody who's in for this vision is in. The new race is in the beloved community. Do you see that? It's this sense that Paul said, no, 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 this is something completely different. A brand new kind of human that Christ is making. And he says he makes peace. He doesn't sit down and try to help them have common ground. He doesn't try to make Jews more like Gentiles or Gentiles more like Jews. Early church writer John Christendom said this, he didn't make them equal, but to produce something greater, one should, it's almost like one should melt down one statue of silver and one statue of lead, and the two together shall come out gold. And Paul is saying and getting at is our fundamental identity is not in race, our fundamental identity is not in our gender, it's not in our occupation, it's not in our sexuality. He's saying, I am a Christian first. I am a Christ follower first. This is my primary identity in which everything else flows. Our identity is complex. We are many things. We, are, we have our different levels that different people place of these identities, whether it's sexuality, gender, race, occupation. Christian maturity, what Paul is saying, is a process until we begin to see our fundamental identity as new creation, that we are together, all the human race, all the human beings interwoven. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, that we are more alike than we are separate, and that we are all going to, the, came from the same place, all going to the same place. Christian maturity is a process of realizing we are new creations. 
What it is mean to be in Christ. That's why Paul says over and over again, I am in Christ, I am in Christ, I am in Christ, I am in Christ. This was his fundamental identity more than any other identity. Paul was very Jewish, was, was in line to be on the Sanhedrin, one of the greatest leaders of the Jewish community, but overall his identity is I am in Christ. And everything flows from that. So, so what can we do? What can we do where we, we, we have this complex family, we have our own racial formation that we need to explore individually, what were the messages that you were, or just, yeah, I would even broaden to that, the walls you've created of different peoples, whether it's their difference, you're, you're, you're the fearful of difference, what were you taught about people who are different from you, because maybe your family really wanted you to know that you were Christian, and we have to uphold these values, and that created a wall incidentally, against anybody different. And what can we do? Uh, Daniel Barrington, back in the 60s and 70s, he was an author during that time, and someone asked him in an interview once, where does faith live? They said, you know, this was the question in in church often, is is faith more in your head or is it in your heart? Um, This is a PG-13 answer, so just if you're under 13, cover up your ears. Um, He said, it's neither. It's rarely where your head is at, nor where your heart is at. Faith is where your ass is at. That's, what he means is it's, sometimes we don't agree. Faith is what you, we take our bottoms and we sit in peace. Jesus has made peace. We have to sit in it, and we have to have our faith in action, embodied. Jesus made peace. I'm going to sit here and find it because he made it. Now, this doesn't mean undermining your values. It doesn't mean putting up with evil. I love this Jesuit prayer of reconciliation. Again, forgot it's on the other computer. It says this, Lord Christ, help us to see what it is that joins us together, not what separates us. For when we see only what it is that makes us different, we become aware of how moral we are. Um, Even when confronted with evil, you forgave and sacrificed yourself rather than seeking revenge. Teach us to do the same by the power of your Spirit. And so what Paul is getting at here is the sense of... um, I love another another book by Ronald Rollheiser in uh, this book called Sacred Fire. He has an interview of someone from another book, uh, a book called The Good Fight, and it's an interview with someone doing this kind of work, uh, racial work. And he asked him, uh, he's also doing violence prevention work. He says, isn't it dangerous work that you're doing? He says, true. The hatred is vicious and the punishment is violent. And he says, have you ever been hurt yourself? He goes, yes. I've been spit upon, beaten with fists, with pipes, with chains, and left a bloody mess. And the interviewer says, but you're pretty big. Weren't you able to protect yourself sometimes to fight back? He says, yes, at first I did fight back. I made some of them sorry they had attacked me, but then I realized that by fighting back, I wasn't getting anywhere. So true. The hatred coming at me in those fists and clubs was bouncing right off me back into the air, and it could just continue to spread like electricity. I decided not to fight back. Listen to this. I would let my body absorb that hatred so that some of it would die in my body and not bounce back into the world. I now see that my job in the midst of evil is to make my body a grave for hate. 
make my body a grave for hate. I just love that phrase, making my body a grave for hate. That hate would end. It wouldn't keep cycling through me. And I'm not saying, like, there's a way to take that quote out of context and to begin to um, be, treated, be treated less than human. But there is a sense of in Christness that allows us to see our life not as a conduit for hate, that where what we receive in our culture just cycles through us, but rather a filter. A filter. Where hate and division in our country happens, when we see hate, we feel hate, we can become a conduit to that energy. And all that division, all that hate, and, and all the people not enlightened like us, now they need to experience that too. And we get into rage, and, and it goes right through us out to others. Or we become a filter. Like, like Jesus, take, we take in the toxins and impurities and hold it within and give back life. This is the work of the Christian church, especially in the black tradition. And the reason there's, we know that this hour is the most segregated hour in the United States. That's not because, that's because white churches refuse to involve African Americans in their churches, therefore African Americans historically were forced to form their own communities. And what we see in this tradition, nonviolence was the mean to attain this. Nonviolence was the mean to attain this. That there is a new community. And I feel like we are, as a church, it's a very complicated thing that we are both called to be a part of the the remedy of reconciliation, but yet we are riddled with the disease at the same time. We are both called to be a part of the remedy, yet we are riddled with the disease at the same time. That we still live in a country where some states spend $72,000 to lock up one individual, but will hardly spend 10000 to educate one child. We still have a lot of work to do. The civil rights movement changed a lot of laws and fewer hearts. It was freedom on paper, but strangely felt like oppression still today. And Barna did some re- George Barna group did some research about multi-ethnic churches. And the multi, what considered a multi-ethnic church was 80% majority, 20% minority. That's pretty gracious, I think, to be a multi-ethnic church. So like, if you're like 100 people and you're 79 white people and 21 other, you're multiracial. Pretty generous, generous definition, I would say. And he said, among Buddhist temples, Muslim communities, and churches, 7.5% of all religious communities are multi-ethnic. And you're like, well, yeah, Brian, well, maybe that's because, you know, all those other religions that are kind of multi-ethnic. When you can strip it down to Christian churches, only 2.5% are multi-ethnic. And I'm not saying we need to go force multi-ethnicity upon our current situation. I think it's very complex. Um, but I think there's a sense of where we must do the work of repenting ourselves for all of us, figuring out where do I need to continually repent of the racial formation, the wall formation that I received, the, the formation I received to hate 
to continue to have roadblocks? How do we continue to, to repent and lament? Three things I want to just encourage us in is repent, lament, and hope. Repent, lament, and hope. That's my close. Um, we, we are riddled with the disease, yet called to be the remedy. We must continue to have eyes open to where we are complicit in this work. That racism is not just overt, it's also covert. That the vision is not just overt, but also covert. It's walking on the other side of the street out of fear because someone looks different from you walking towards you. Um, and then lament. Lament is all throughout the scriptures. 40% of the Psalms are lament. Uh, Sung Chan Ra, who spoke at this church, talks about two different types of lament. There's words spoken at a funeral, and he says there's words spoken at a hospital. Lament at a funeral is a eulogy. There's no more hope for this world. But the lament we do as Christians is lament like at a hospital. There's still hope. There's still hope. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., one of a great message he gave was called A Knock at Midnight. And he talks about, he uses the parable of, of prayer about someone knocking at the door of a friend at midnight looking for bread. And he says that the world, the poor, are knocking at the church's door at midnight looking for bread, and the church is not giving an answer. And he goes into several categories that, we, that I think we are in today. I think our country is, is at midnight. Um, we're in a moral midnight, King said. We are in a historical midnight. He says the church is in a midnight. It is a very dark, dark place. And, but yet, King, at the end of this sermon, turns his audience to hope. He talks about a law case that he was involved with in which, at the last hour, he received good news. And um, Otis Moss III has reconfigured this sermon to, talk, to say this, that the bad news is it's midnight, and the good news is it's midnight. The bad news is it's midnight, and the good news is it's midnight. Because midnight is right between dusk and dawn, very dark, but once it goes past 11.59 into 12.01, it's a new day. It's a new day. And so we still have hope. We have hope that we can continue to show up and participate in this beloved community that God created, this new humanity that Paul is talking about. What does it look like for you every day? I don't know. I think every day that we continue to... This conversation has gotten drowned out for months and months and months up until another black body was killed. And then we all get shaken up again and then we get quiet again and then what does it look like for you to have a sustainable way to get in trouble in your job? To put up a good fight? To continue to have a sustainable vision that's going to keep you the course of, of basically being courageous and bold in a way that takes courage and is going to possibly cost you something. I don't know. Uh, but but that, that, that to me is, is the invitation here. That what Paul is doing, it's not like 
It's not like he was just like, hey, let's just all get along. Paul was doing something radical. He was taking an entire religion for thousands of years that had its way of doing things and saying, you need to change. We need to do something different here. We have to take a bold action. We have to, I, Paul is getting himself in trouble. Paul was beaten and hit with rods, not for just being nice. <laughs> we don't, you've got to see that the history of our world when going unchecked, that we are at midnight, everyone sees something's wrong with this world, but do you see this as a fender bender? If so, then we just need to do a little repair. Or do you see this as that the world is totaled? Then we need like whole new creation. We, need, like, we don't need repair, we need renewal. Jesus is making us new. It is midnight, and God is calling us to something greater. We must repent for becoming who we've become. There will be a moment, though, like Dr. King said, that there will be a new day in which we can all join together, right? We can all join together, Latino and Lutheran, black and white, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, just keep going down the, down the line. We can all come together to this new beloved community and come together in peace. So what is it for you? Is it, um, is it for you, is it recognizing that our new family is a mess? I need to accept that. Is it, is it for you, is it exploring your own genogram of like how your family has formed you and building up walls, people different from you? Um, or is it for you, is this this call of radical action, like I'm tired of being complacent, I'm tired of my emotions rising with the news cycle, I want to be a part of this. Some of us, this, is, this, this message brings despair. Others of you, it's just a constant reminder of the world you live in every single day, depending on your social situation and your race and your social standing. But the, the call is, is, what does it look like to be, like John Lewis said, to get into good trouble? What does it look like for you to get into good trouble where you are? get into good trouble in your job, get into good trouble in this city um, to begin to join in a new community. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your word that you have broken down the walls of hostility. We've often forgotten the power of our story as one new humanity. I pray that we would build we would, we would stand in the tradition of the churches that built not walls, but liberation. Many are trying to find purpose, knocking at the doors, looking for a home in politics, politics, looking for a home in other tribes, looking for a home in other identities. God, may, you, may we see a home in you. So God, may we repent, but also be reconciled May we be saved all over again. May we stand in the tradition of love and justice and peacemaking. May we look to those whose focus was liberation, people like Frederick Douglass, Ida B. Wells, MLK, 
Harriet Tubman, those that had faith that we could be a people that welcomed in others despite who they are, despite their differences. May we look to Mother Emmanuel that looked at a Dylan roof and said, come on in, have some more of our bread. Have some, come on into this Bible study that we would stand in the tradition of the church that continues to open themselves up. And may we, like Jesus, make our body a grave for hate, not retaliation. Jesus, would, would you make this message to shape us for whatever you need it to do by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, we're going to take communion to my right. Remembering the unifying communion table for the new community. A beloved community that comes together, that all are welcome to the table. Take Jesus' bread, which represents his body, and the wine or juice, depending on your conscience, to represent the blood of Jesus. So we're going to sing, we're going to worship. I'm going to be available for prayer. Some other leaders will be back there as well. Um, Let's stand and celebrate the hope that we have as a community.